right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome Science back. in between. Yes. I'm Scott. And I'm Ollie. And this is episode maybe 94-ish. Uh, yeah, it's right. 94-ish for sure. I'm yeah. pretty sure it is 94, in fact. Look at that. So you, It's not even ish. There's no ish required. Well, I was just taking a, you know, sort of a stab in the dark, you yeah. know, from memory, from, yeah. from from my brain hole. From the whole yeah. brain hole. Yeah. It's rattling around hole. up there. I, I see a 94 uh, up there. <laughs> 94. There's nothing else up in there, but that 94 is sitting there just... <laughs> Cute as can be. Yeah, look at that. Nine to four. <laughs> I don't know what accent you and I are trying I, to do. I don't there, either. But... No. Well, but... I was just playing off your accent. I, I was <laughs> like, well, that sounds sort of, I don't know, I guess like Southern, maybe West Virginian. I don't know. It's very. My family. Uh, I, here's, a, here's an accent story. This will be like our little <laughs> rabbit hole before the accent. episode. And today on Accent Quarter. Yes. <laughs> My family thinks that I only have one accent that I like, you know, oh. when I'm trying to mimic anything that I just have one accent oh, like, I see. that I'm really bad at it. And which I, I may be because I'm sometimes it's a Dunning-Kruger thing again. Like uh, I might think uh, I'm a lot more capable of this than I really am. Yeah. And, and that yeah. could be possible. But they joke that the only voice I really have is I, I had this this book called Calypso Joe that I used to read the kids when they were oh. little. So Calypso Joe, you know, Google it. Yeah. Uh, um, Calypso Joe was, you know, um, you know, the trolls going over the, you know, walk, walking over bridges. There was, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like Billy Goat old, Gruff. Yeah, Billy Goat Gruff thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, it's set in like, I don't know, the Caribbean uh, yeah. you know? or Caribbean, however you want to say Which, but, <laughs> You say tomato, yeah. I say tomato. Whatever. And so I would do a voice for uh, the troll that was Calypso. And, okay. and, they thought it sounded somewhat Irish, somewhat Italian, something. Uh-huh. It definitely did not sound Calypso. But yeah. Whatever so that is supposed to sound like. Caribbean sounding. Yeah. Right. No. So whenever I try to do an accent on something, they're like, oh, look, cl- here's yeah. Calypso Joe. <laughs> Calypso Joe. <laughs> there you go. Well, I will say uh, you had your own little Ricky Ticky Tavi moment there with uh, Billy Goat's Gruff. So congratulations. Yes. Welcome. Welcome to the old man party. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Referring... Way back when I was a kid. <laughs> Do you know the story of Billy Goat Gruff kids? It was a good story. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's great. Uh, so I, I'm just going to edit this all out. Please. So... I mean, (laughs) then again, could we sound any more ridiculous than we already do? I mean, it's not like it's going to go up from here, except it's just, you know, well, it'll get um, get more serious. We'll get focused, you know. Will we focus? Yeah. We're talking about practice. Practice. We got to focus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So today in this today. episode, um, I, I guess this is something that came up in the last episode that we, we decided to put a pin in and, and revisit this week when we're, we're talking about taking the know, pin out, taking the pin out and talking about standard and standard standards and standardization yep. and what's what gets standardized. And, and I would why? say that, why do we standard? Why do we do this? Yeah. And, and, um, you know, from the, especially from the standpoint, standpoint of, you know, I, I know teachers who work in environments in which they have scripted lessons, yep. like, like they're like, it's at that level of standardization that they yep. work and they, you know, whether, you know, their district has adopted some sort of curriculum that is that standardized that you have to specifically use certain terminology and you have to do this thing before this thing and everything is scripted. Um, and I think to some degree that 
our our field does that too. That some of our, you know, I I know some colleagues in in you know other departments who have their students script their lessons. You know, now mm-hmm. I mean, when you're starting out as a as a teacher, maybe there's some benefits to thinking about the things you're going to say, but scripting it out is something that I think gives them, you know, a false sense of it's a performance. That's the yeah. thing. That's the thing. It it gives them completely the wrong pers- perspective of what it's not an interaction. It's mm. not discourse moves. It's not, you know, discussion based. It's not anything. It's it's a performance. Yeah. And that's exactly the wrong type of thing that we we as science educators are trying to propose or trying mm-hmm. to, you know, put out there and then to, you know, work with these schools and work with these teachers out in different districts who are, you know, having their students script them or worse than that, ha- providing the script for the teachers. Right. That's a, that's a level of standardization that I think you and I would find, you know, yeah. 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 It's, it's some, a, some bad word. Yes. It's a, well, I would, I would, I would, it's, a, it's oppressive for yep. the teacher. It's absolutely oppressive. It's deprofessionalizing. It deprofessionalizes what, I mean, we've hired, you hire district, you hire teachers to come in with some knowledge base and some expertise. And then you say, I'm going to control everything down to the, the words you use with the students. Yep. I think that's a standardization that you and I are definitely uncomfortable with. Yeah, for sure we are. And I, and I think like t- the, to put the other end of the spectrum on it, and then we can come back and sort of talk about these things, I think, um, in comparison to each other. I mean, one of the things that sometimes inquiry got sort of painted with was this idea of discovery learning, which is like, uh, you know, this Summerhill schools in England or whatever, where like you just get the kids in a room and say, what do you want to know, kids? What do you want to try and figure out? And then we'll just discover how the world works and we'll, you know, wander around and consider different things. And I don't know, I'm interested in, you know, why do ants walk in a line? So now we're going to all spend the next six months investigating ants walking in a line. And, um, you know, so this, the, I think the other thing that we're not advocating for is is a complete like because that's also deprofessionalizing in many respects for teachers because it it doesn't take into account that they do have expertise and they and they their job is to organize a learning environment for children right, right. I mean it, it their job is not just to be around and and you know act like sort of a parent um, their job is to organize a learning environment around some kind of learning. But then the question becomes like, what is that middle path? Like, well, not middle path, because there's a whole swath of stuff in between there, but, but where do we fall? So when we're talking about standardizing, what we're really saying is what parts of the learning environment, what parts of the experience that, that we have as school need to be consistent across contexts, right? right? So what, what, what do we want that's consistent across contexts? And, you know, your example is, um, in the scripted environment is basically everything is yeah. the same. It's consistent in that respect. And the other um, version is nothing, um, right? And so in between nothing and everything is obviously where we want to be. But the question is where on that spectrum and what are the key parts of learning environment that we think need to be consistent or, or standardized and, and why? And obviously, the other thing I'll just mention quickly is, of course, standardized brings up standardized testing, and we'll have to talk about that at some point here. Right. And, and, and 
I, I guess I framed it before when we were talking before we started recording was, you know, it's about grain size. Like what's the grain yeah. size or what's the, what's the lens we want to look at? Do we want to look at it from a, you know, lesson to lesson standpoint? So if you're teaching one lesson with period one and one lesson with period three, should those lessons be standardized? Um, yeah. Because you're just, the same t- just in Mr. Dran's class, right? In my class, I'm teaching, you know, period one and period three, and they're both the same content. And should those two be standardized? I think some teachers would probably argue yes. But then if we start talking about like, you and I are both teaching physics, and you're teaching period one, and I'm teaching period three and they're Mm -hmm. both a physics class should we be coordinating because you know some people will argue that we should be giving common assessments because if they're both physics courses then you know it shouldn't be be dependent upon whether you have the awesome dr mcdonald or you know the hapless you know inexperienced hapless hapless. yeah (laughs) and you know uh you know dr dreon i mean it should be um those outcomes should be similar. And that's where the grain size conversation comes in. It's like, you know, how, how far out do we have to do this in terms of, you know, across districts, because that's where the standardized test comes in is that like, Oh, we're going to give everybody the same, you know, biology test at the, you know, at the end of their ninth grade year, 10th grade year. And then let's compare them because we want to make sure um, that they're all meeting the same benchmarks or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know the answers. I know what I feel comfortable yeah. with. I mean, and what I don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. yeah, I mean, one thing that I think is interesting, as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, in higher ed, how we do this, because we have multiple instructors and we have, like in Penn State's case, we have multiple campuses where these courses are being offered. So there may be, um, you know, can, uh, courses offered at the Altoona campus that are ex- in theory the same course as the ones being offered at UP and clearly they're being offered by different instructors and maybe in very different environments like at UP it may be that that's a, like a 700 person lecture and at Altoona it's a 25 person like more like a seminar class but in theory those classes are still the same yeah. and so what does that look like and how do we think about it well Penn State has a rule um, that 75% of the course content basically has to be the same. So, so instructors have wiggle room to change, um, to change things. So, so there, that's built into the system. Now, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. It probably doesn't really mean that there's, there's 25% difference, but it does mean that you have flexibility from both from year to year and from course to course. So there is a sense that, yeah, these courses should be mostly the same. And I'm sure 25% was picked out of a hat, right? And it's not like that's that's a scientifically researched uh, decision for what percentages of courses have to be the same for them to be considered the same course, right? I don't. I would not read that research if such research existed. <laughs> bore me to death. But uh, but I, I find that interesting though because you know at, at our institution we have we have no benchmarks like that. Um, we have course objectives. And so uh, how individual faculty members meet those course objectives, they have a lot of intellectual freedom for that. And so. Yeah. Um, well, even within the same, yeah, same course, same running course. the same semester. Yeah. So like you could take now we, you know, we collaborate to some degree. Um, you know, if I'm teaching. So like, for instance, I'll be teaching two sections of a course this fall and, you know, a colleague will be teaching two sections of the same course he and I will, will meet and we'll share syllabi and probably do a lot of the same things. Um, but um, there are differences. We're going to use the same text, but there's no requirement that we're doing that. We're just being collegial. Um, but like, 
we, I have, you know, in fact, I, I had uh, gotten an email just a few weeks ago from a student who had taken a class who their, that one of their friends was in another section of the class. And they're mm-hmm. like, hold on, like these classes are so starkly different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had to like try to say, well, you know, the individual um, faculty members have freedoms to do things differently. And that is, it's a hard thing to sell, right? Whenever yeah. one person is doing so much more work and so much different work to say these two classes are the same, because yeah. even to me, somebody who has taught that class, I was like, yeah, I don't, I, I it's hard to defend, right? It's, right? it's hard to defend. Well, and I think it brings up an interesting challenge about, and reason, I think, for understanding why standardization is a thing we talk about in education, right? Because there is a sense that um, you, you want some level of fairness, right? right? And that fairness is both for the faculty and for the students. I mean, just as a, a tiny bit of a, a detour into a rabbit hole here that is related to standardized testing, I think, but like one of the things that's happening at Penn State over the last five years or so is there's been a massive move towards uh, data analytics and using them as um, ways to understand the university. And in particular, then the first thing they they built was a, a sort of AI engine that would help um, would help advisors with choosing courses, right? So I'm sitting with Ali. He's come in. I'm his advisor. We're going to pick his courses for next semester. Well, this, this, it, as far as I know, it's not actually in place. They've only tested it and, and to see how it works. But what it could do is they could say, Ali's signing up for these courses, and it would project based on Ali's previous academic history, which could include his you know, high school stuff that if he's a freshman, but definitely would include any Penn State stuff, what his GPA would be and what his what his grades for those individual courses would be based on the history of the instructor, the course and Ollie's learning history. Wow. And and then the interesting thing, of course, is it it's like, well, if we move Ollie from the 8 a.m. section with Dr. McDonald to the 2 p.m. section with Dr. Woodward, his GPA goes up because who knows, maybe Dr. Woodward's an easier grader, or maybe Ollie takes courses, he's more attentive and seems to do better in courses that are in the afternoon. I don't know. Which is not the case. Which is not Not the case. case. No, no. No. Two o'clock is nap time. Uh, Already, already (laughs) distracted and nappy by 2 p.m. So, um, but I think, you know, this idea of the, the, piece that I think is relevant to what you were just talking about is they can actually see in that data, the difference between student performance in Dr. Dran's class and Dr. McDonald's class and say like, Oh, kids coming out of that class. We can also see how they do in the classes that follow that are built on that class. So we can say like, Oh, Dr. Dran prepares those students well to go on and they get better grades on average than the ones coming out of Dr. McDonald's class compared to the grade that they got in that class. Like, you know, this, these kinds of comparisons start being a lot less abstract, right? Like yeah. it's not just going on rate your professor and, and seeing, Oh, Dr. Dran's, you know, got, you know, chili peppers and, and high scores. And <laughs> Dr. McDonald has like ugly sick face, whatever that is, the green sick face. I don't even know that if that's a thing and uh, you know, low scores. So I'm definitely going to be in, Dr. Dran's section, like that's just like opinion, but yeah. this is, this is being going to be, and the consequences I think for faculty is going to be really interesting, especially when you're, when you're teaching a course that's taught in many locations or by many people. Well, I think that they, 
in the K to 12 environment, they've tried to implement something like that, you know, with the value added systems and, you know, like yeah. they're certainly, and, and I think that to some degree it's, you know, it's successful. And I put that in quotes, air quotes for all of you people who can't yeah. see that my, my air quotes somewhat successful because they can see the impact of individual teachers on the growth of, of, of students. I mean, but I think that, that I, I just want to cycle back a little bit because, you know, you use the term fair, yeah. Right. It's about it's about fairness. And I think right. that what has happened with the fairness movement, if there is a movement around that, is that's all been built upon this perception that that similarity, sameness yeah. is fair because right. it's equal. Right. It's equity versus equality. Right. Right. That is the challenge yeah. is that Agreed. if we just give everybody the same thing right. and teach everybody the same way and do the same thing in every class, then voila, it's fair because that right. is, you know, that's the way we do it in, you know, right. in America. Everybody gets right. the same thing that it's fair. And it's yeah. like, hold on. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and I think that, that going, you know, building on that, like that's where the standards movement came from, right? Like part right. of the argument for the standards movement, one of the big, um, you know, if we want to think, I, I don't know if we want to equate fairness with standards, because that's a tricky bit, too, as you've just pointed out. But the standards movement, one of the talking points about standards was there are a lot of schools, mostly under-resourced, often in, you know, um, communities of color, right? But there are schools that are underperforming, quote unquote, yeah. underperforming, right? But we don't know how much because we haven't set a standard. We haven't said, like, this is what all schools should should be able to bring their kids to, to this level, this standard. And so the idea was that standards would be a way to get low performing, underperforming schools up, right? Of course, that's not what happened because yeah. what ended up happening is they used those standards as a way to punish the schools that were underperforming and usually took resources away from them or changed their administrative um, makeup because they blamed the administration for that failure or whatever it was, right? Like there's lots of ways that that got used as in punitive ways, which of course is almost always the way it happens in education. When you start measuring things, like you see right. with IQ, you see it with all, like when you start putting numbers on things pretty soon, you're, you're exacerbating the inequity, not, not eliminating it. But I will say that that was a big push behind the standards movement is this will create more fairness, this will mean that the low, these low-performing schools will be identified and they will be able to get resources to build them up to the level of these other schools. Yeah. And ultimately, they just got labeled and they got, you know, as, right. fail, failing. as failing schools. And then they and then we're seeing that now uh, in the post-pandemic world. We're still still hearing lots of conversation about learning loss. Lots of it. Yeah. You know, all the learning loss from the pandemic. And, and I get it. And it, it's, you know, there we are definitely um, our students are developing at a different rate than they were before the pandemic. Yeah. That is, you know, but I think the, the question we should be asking, I think that is tied to this in, in this standardization in this, yeah. you know, what, you know, I think that having the expectation that, Hey, prior to the pandemic, I was able to, you know, do this, this one lesson over two days. And now I have to do it over three days. So obviously that's a failure because mm -hmm. clearly the standard I've set is no longer this is no longer being met, right? Right. right. And that uh, that I think is also embedded in this conversation is that it's got to be responsive to the students in, that you're working with. You yeah. know, I I had a colleague who would map out the entire year in August. Yeah. 
he's like, okay, on, you know, in January 15th, I'm giving this exam. And I'm like, dude, it's August. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, what if the students need a little bit more time with this? Well, I don't have the time to give them. Yeah. And I'm like, well, what's the point? Right. (laughs) What's the point? Like, what is the point of like having it? Well, this is what I did last year. This is how, you know, I want to make sure that my kids graduate with the same content every year. Yeah. It's like, no, you're, you're trying to make sure that you're on January 15th, you're giving your January 15th lesson because it's not about the student learning. It's about, you know, where you are, not where the students are, you know, and it's a death march with fun sauce, right? It is With, with no fun sauce. I mean, it's just, it's just like, okay, this is, this is what we're doing. Like, uh, you know, that, that idea that you could plan out your whole year or even your whole month, frankly, is seems bananas to me because the whole idea of like classrooms being responsive to the individual kids that are in there. I mean, that's gotta be fundamental. And, uh, and, and so this idea of like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're just going to march through and I have my lessons for the next five weeks all planned out and I'm ready to go like that. I'm not saying you shouldn't plan like planning is a critical component, but you, you should plan, you know, it's like the difference between a play and an and improvisation, right? And we've yeah. talked about improvisation before, but you know, <clears throat> even a play is dynamic and responsive to some degree to the audience, to, to the individual night um, in, in terms of the performance. But, but I think like we need to really think about what it is that we're trying to accomplish to your point about like, are we really interested in students learning things or are we interested in us teaching things? Cause those are not the same thing. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's that continuum. Like we, we framed this earlier, but it's performative to responsiveness, yeah. right? It's yeah. that, it's that continuum. It's like, how responsive do you want to be to the students that you're working with in this class versus next class versus this teacher working with these students? I mean, it's like, you know, we have to, really examine like how much of that are you know schools and parents and districts comfortable with that yeah and and i think another thing it connects to related to that you know talking about your grain size piece again is is the idea of differentiation like one of the things that um we can think about genuinely think about in classrooms is you know typically the way that we try to differentiate is we differentiate on the task which is to say we'll give the the high flyers, the G, the gifted identified kids, like we give them extra work. We give them more tasks, right? We'll yeah. give them extra problems or we'll give They've them. They've got whatever. to do the odds and the even. That's right. That's yeah. right. Cause those don't have the answers in the back. Right. So you got to do those and those are harder and those are the harder questions too. So yeah. So you give the high flyers, the extra problems and then the kids that are not performing as well or, ha- you know, struggling with some of the material or however you want to characterize that. Right. Well, we'll give them graphic organizers for their notes so that they don't have to take the notes. They can just sort of write in the little blanks of the graphic organizer to help them connect the dots on all literally on this. And, you know, that that notion of differentiation seems, again, to me, like it's predicated on this idea of standardization, that there is this task and then you just standardize up and down from that. As opposed to the idea of and my students had this conversation in our seminar this year about well, aren't, aren't we just differentiating as we're walking around talking with our students that we're responding individually to the students and their ideas in the moment when we're talking with them? So I'm differentiating by saying I'm listening to Ollie's idea and then I'm responding in an authentic way to Ollie's idea 
um, based on my understanding of what the goal of the class is, what, what I'm trying to help students develop an understanding of, and where Ali is as an individual based on this statement that he's just given me, right? Not, uh, I've decided Ali is a high flyer, and so I'm going to give him all the extra, uh, extra uh, problems, um, but I'm actually differentiating by looking and speaking with the individual kids. So I think this idea of standardization goes all the way from that individual grain size all the way up to, you know, standards, right? And GSS and those big standards. So I think we're both comfortable with having some sort of like state and national standards. I think, you know, having those like, but I guess for me, it's what are those used for, you know, Um, I'm comfortable with them being out there, but if it's like, you know, becomes the bully that drives everything. I think to some degree it should influence practice. It should influence the types of things that are going on in schools. It should influence the types of textbooks we're using. And if, if we should use textbooks, yeah, you know, and right. uh, it should influence, you know, the types of assessments that teachers create and, and, and the curriculum they de- develop. Absolutely. But I wouldn't be for let's create one national curriculum that everyone adopts, you know, that meets that standards. And then it would just come down to, you know, states and then go further down to individual school districts. I would I'd be uncomfortable with that Um, only because I think that it's not responsive to local communities. And I think their local communities have different needs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, while they're we should be learning science. meeting the same sort of standards, how those standards are met may be different if we're talking in some rural community where, you know, there's an, an agrarian, you know, background, because there are conversations that could be unique to that population that we could really tap into their backgrounds and their interests and their histories and all that versus some other community where other things are, are important. So I think that yes to standards, no, yes to there being national standards, no to there being a standard curriculum, you know, where everybody across the state is, yeah, or across the country is meeting the same sort of curriculum. And no, I don't think, is anyone proposing that? I don't know. I mean, I think there's No, probably- I don't, I mean, there are play, there are countries where that's certainly the case. Oh, yeah. But the, but the U.S. is not one of them. I mean, but I think then to wrap that back to a thing that we've talked about, which is the NGSS, like one of the strengths of the NGSS and one of the, one of the big moves that they tried to make in that document was to move away from a bunch of unimportant particulars into big yeah. ideas, right? And the advantage to those big ideas is they can play out differently in different contexts. So your understanding of a, of a big idea in science is not depending on not dependent on knowing specific facts. It's depending on knowing a big conceptual idea, and the the particulars that go into that understanding of that idea can be contextualized. They can be localized. They can be from your community, right? So it doesn't make it easy because you because teachers have to be cognizant of that and they have to design their curriculum in a way that is responsive to that. But that's the strength of the NGSS as a set of standards is they didn't say, here's a list of all the facts and definitions that we want students to learn. What they said is we want students to understand big ideas like plate tectonics, right? That's a big idea. And that can play out very differently in different parts of the country based on local geology, kids' interests, all sorts of things. But the big idea that, you know, our, our earth is made up of these, these dynamic set of plates that move around for a variety of reasons that include the, 
you know, the mantle and, and, and the slab uh, push and pull and all this fun stuff, right? All that's great. But what we're really trying to do is understand, well, why is it that there are mountains where I live, where my, there aren't mountains in this other part of the world or a part of the country, right? So, um, so I think, I think that is a strength of the NGSS is that they were trying to move away. They, they, in terms of standardization, they, to some degree, were trying to standardize at a large conceptual grain size so that, so that it, those things could play out in local contextualized ways. And I think that that's really a powerful um, thing about the NGSS. Is that there, there was a responsiveness that was going to be built in because of the way things were framed. Exactly. And I, and I think that's great. So, okay, so we have this national thing, then we go to states, and states have these, you know, I mean, I'm just going down the grain size, right? Yep. Let's just, let's, so we have uh, states, and I don't think there's any, at, at least in Pennsylvania, there's, there's not a state curriculum, you no. know, and I don't know if many states do have state curriculum. I don't think if, I don't think any do. I mean, one of the things we pride ourselves on in America is local control, especially of our schools. So I would argue that the only state that might, and you know, certainly if this is inaccurate, let me know. I think Hawaii just has one school district. I think the entire state of Hawaii is one school district. I think that's. I think you're right about that, but I also think I'm not sure. Well, it'd be interesting to see how standardized their curriculum is. Yeah, we could we could talk to Kirsten Marr who. Friend, friend, now friend of the show who teaches at uh, University of Hawaii uh, Science Education, who's a friend and colleague, and um, and yeah, that's that would be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, I, re- I remember school district. Yeah, I remember I was I was doing some work. I got to speak with some folks at a school district in Hawaii at one point, and they were like, "Yeah, that we're one school district," and I was like, "Oh, well, look at that." Um, but that's a, that's definitely so. So we don't have state curricula right we have state standards and the and those and at least in pennsylvania are going to be uh reflected what they will reflect in uh ngss and and then individual schools districts in, in pennsylvania they you know develop curricula so mm-hmm. that's pretty standardized right they have a standardized curriculum in terms of the you know scope and sequence of what what is to be taught and and maybe uh, depending on the district, I know in 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 some local schools, there's a lot of common assessments that are so hey to to some degree. Like I think at uh, at our local school district uh, at the high school, the common assessments are usually midterm and final exams, not individual marking period or unit based exams. Um, I don't know how universal that is, but like I know at the elementary level this is at the you know k to five level in our district there were common assessments in reading and writing and math that were you know just whenever the teacher felt it was time to give those you know so they had to give this and they had to give these multiple things and they had to report them out at different points so there was these common assessments that were standardized but in the again individually uh day-to-day lessons were you know, some flexibility for the Right. And I think there is a lot of variability about that. Like some, some high schools, all the chemistry classes or physics classes or whatever, they take a common assessment. Um, and then others, they don't have that sort of thing. And, and, and then of course there's standardized exams, right. Which are right. national or state level, right. So the PSSA is in Pennsylvania. Um, but I think the interesting thing about some of these things that we're talking about standardization is, 
in addition to fairness, the other thing that standardization is there for is comparison, right? Yeah. So the idea is then, well, if we're standardized, now we can compare. We can know what Ollie is compared to Scott, right? Because we'll have ha- have given a standardized ac- assessment, and that means we whether Ollie's a teacher or a student, we have a way of comparing him to other people his his so we can compare if he's a student we can compare him to other students in his class other students in the school district other students in the country right if he's a teacher we can do similarly right we can compare him to other teachers in the school other teachers in the district other teachers in the country right so this the second effect or or purpose of standardization is comparison and i think that's another place where this can get very pernicious right it, right absolutely. because uh you know grades exist mostly to um you know the original purpose of grades was to differentiate kids uh in a system so that people who are trying to hire them know you know in a sort of shorthand way who's a better student right oh this kid has an a that kid has a b well that's the better student it's easy peasy right so there was so the that was one of the purposes of, of grades initially was to differentiate. And then one of the other things, which we don't have time to get into today, but is fascinating is the idea of curving, right? So, which is to say, we're going to not only do, we're not only going to compare you in, in some way, but what we're going to do is depending on who you're in the class with, that's going to Im- impact your grade. So th- we still do this at Penn state in a lot of science classes, right? Where they say, Okay, well, if the class average in here is 58 and the class average over in the other class is 68 um, and you've got a uh, uh, 70, well, you definitely want to be in the class where the class average is a 58, right? Your grade, what, what you quote unquote know based on the assessment is, is the same. It's 70, whatever that 70 means. But if you're in a class where the class average is 58, well, now you're a B or maybe even an A. But if you're in the class where it's a 68, you might be a C plus or a B minus, right? Even though what you knew was exactly the same, but you just, you took it it, because you were in a different class when they did a, this is traditional curving, right? So this is not, you know, it's not all the different variations on curving. What this is, is you say there's, there's a mean and there are standard deviations. And if you're within one standard deviation of a mean, you get a certain grade. If you're two standard deviations, then you, right. So if you're above the mean by two standard deviations, that's a B. If you're three above, that's an A. If you're one below, that's a D. If you're two below, that's an F, right? So that's how, and then, so that's that the bulk of people get C's and then uh, some, some people get B's and D's and a very small number of people get A's and F's. So, um, which to be to be frank is how I survived in physics as a physics major. <laughs> that right there is how I was always at least one standard deviation above the mean. So, well, that's woo-hoo. solid, dude. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yay. yay. So I now I would get like horrible grades on you know some exams, and I'd be like, "This is awful." I remember there was an exam that I had a professor. This is a little outside. But he had this really crazy grading system that for every question you got right, you got a point. For every question you got wrong, you got minus a quarter. And uh, you could guess as many answers as you want because they were all had five answers. So yeah. if you guessed, if you bubbled oh. everything in, you got a zero. 
right? Because because there'd be five answers. One of them was right. Four oh, of them I would see. be wrong. You could you bubble could, in as many uh, in one question as you want. Yes. You could bubble in as many answers per question as you want. So if you wanted to bubble in all five, you get a zero. The mean on the first exam was a one, was a one out of like 20. Like it was like really low. And I just remember getting my, my, my test. And I think I had like, I had a single, I had single digits. It was a single digit, you know, response. And I was like, this is horrible. And then, 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 then they reveal, then they reveal, you know, this, you know, the mean and standard deviation. I was like, how do I get a B plus on this? How's right. this a B plus? This is crazy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Bananas. Well, I mean, it is, it, it, it is bananas. And, and the thing that I, I still am gobsmacked by is that when you, when you say this to an intelligent person, right. To a chemistry faculty member, this happened with me and one of my colleagues talking with a chemistry faculty member about this because they were talking about how they do that to make courses fair. And we were saying, we said exactly what we, I said exactly what I just said to you. Like, okay, if I get a 70 in this, in this section of the class and the course average is 58 and this one's 68, right? That, that I get a different grade, even though I did the same quality of work in, in both occasions. Like there was no, there was no sense that that's a weird way to do things. It's like, well, that's the, that's the, I mean, I don't know why, why are we having this discussion? That's just the fair way to do it. And I said, like, are you understanding what, what's happening here? Yeah. Well, yeah, but we have to be consistent. And it's like, uh, it's just so puzzling to me. What, what the, you know, like once the notion that uh, standards are in place and that it is fair, we're, we get stuck in this, like, um, like, uh, I don't know, lack of, uh, interest or curiosity about what's actually going on in terms of the the students we're trying to prepare and that that doesn't even get into the idea of like what it, what are you doing if your class average is a 58 right like what is that saying about the quality of the course that you've designed right and they would say oh well we're trying to you know weed out the bad apples right we want to get rid of the kids who aren't capable of doing the rigorous work of upper division coursework in our, in our field. Yeah. That's yeah. one way to describe it. Woo. Yes. That's, that's our job as, as educators to weed them out. Weed them out. Uh, so, okay. Coming back to our standardization question, because yeah. we keep like, you know, well, it's, I think it's I all think intertwined. It's all, it's especially yeah. around standardization, right? Because, yeah. because there is a sense of like, we do want, there, there is value in having some consistency across schools and across teachers and and across the country, right? Um, but the question is, what cost do we pay for that, and and what's the balance, and how do we think about that? Well, and I think the other part about it is, what are the uh, you use the term pernicious, and I think that's probably uh, a fair way of framing it. Is what are the 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 results? What are the impacts? What are the you know? Because a lot of them, if if we're talking scripted lessons and that deprofessionalizes the field. And if we've come to the point where like teachers are leaving because they have feel like they have no control and they could have anybody come in and read a script and anybody do that, like then, then what's the point of that? I mean, because if we're going to have that level of control and that level of standardization that anybody could come in and just stand there and read, then, then why aren't they just watching a video to do it or why, you know, yeah, because it's got to be much more responsive and 
uh, to the folks who are actually in the room and to the, uh, to the students. And that might mean period one is different than period three because the people in the room are different, you know, yeah. even though they're both signed up for, you know, I, for me, I always found that like, you know, at, at our, our school uh, band was early in the morning. So the kids mm-hmm. in, you know, period one were all in band. Um, so my period one class never had band kids. And then I found that later in the day when there would be a, like a large number of band kids in the class that they were different. Like they yeah. had just because they were and physics being somewhat math based. Sometimes those kids had a different, you know, access point to math because music is a math based type of thing, even though they mm-hmm. don't think of it that way, or, or maybe they do, mm-hmm. but there's definitely a lot of research connected and, you know, um, you know, music preparation and, yeah. and, and math, you know, ability. And, um, yeah, so there there are those types of things that you recognize, okay, yeah, when you like deconstruct them, you can see some of the impacts of that. Oh, I have kids who are involved with this. So they're they're they don't take classes this period, right? Right. And then you they recognize that those types of impacts have huge imp, uh, effects in your classroom and that yeah. may mean that you have to do things differently. Or that you may have different levels of performance and you might have to remediate or you might have to differentiate or you might have to take another day or two on a, le- uh, a lesson. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. I mean, it, there's so many unintended consequences of this yeah. stuff that you really, you know, and, and like you say, there's there's all these other complexities to schools of like, well, what what kids are in your physics period four class has to do with what math class they're in because if right. they're in advanced math they can only take it for period four and so none of them will be in your physics class they'll be in your other physics classes so so that changes the but now but again now if we combine that with the idea that we're gonna oh we're gonna curve grades well yeah. what does that do like now kids who are in the advanced classes are getting lower grades than they would if they weren't in advanced math and could be in the class with the other kids that get lower grades. And it's like, you know, the whole thing is like a house of cards. And um, you just wonder about uh, how, how deeply these things are, are considered. Um, but, but the other thing I wanted to say is like, if you look at where standardization, this goes back to the equity piece, where standardization tends to be most strict, right? So the places where you're seeing those scripted lessons, they're almost always in um, in high poverty schools. Right. They're in under-resourced schools, right? Like the state college area schools or like the, the suburban Philadelphia, like sort of bougie suburban schools around Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. Bougie. Bougie. bougie that's a that's a kid that the kids today use that term i don't really know what it no, means. no i think kids like kids like five years ago used that yeah term. okay that's what i meant like i don't understand that as far as i'm concerned that's the same um but you know in those places you're not getting scripted lessons in those places and no. there's lots of reasons for that but it does tell you something right it tells you that what really is considered valuable by by people is the unscripted lessons, right? Is the teacher who's actually teaching, who's doing the improvisational and relational work, and that people who have resources are always going to be willing to find places where their kids can get more of that experience as opposed to getting less of the experience of scriptedness, right? Because they understand that equality is not equity and that if everybody's getting the same treatment, their kid is not getting a very good experience. So I think that's another thing about standardization to look around at that, you know, where is it happening and why is it happening? Well, 
it's usually being imposed because there's a there's a sense that that place is not doing well at something. So it goes all the way back to this like, okay, we're going to create a standardized test. We're going to test people. We're going to put cl- certain schools as failing. And then what do we do with those failing skill schools? We move in and we I- impose some program that usually is very scripted and controlled by central administration. And that's how we're going to fix the school. And, you know, again, it, it, it seems weird to me that that happens in failing schools. It doesn't seem weird to me. It seems totally natural. No, got, it seems yeah. like the way it works, yeah. but, but what, that nobody thinks about that and says, wait, why is it that then the places that most desperately need help in their in their um, teaching and learning context, we move away from the things that we know work and that people who have resources would want, right? You know, and there's all sorts of examples of this, like that that you know more more well resourced schools they they have gym, they have art, they have right. these well, elect, they have music it, programs, right? Well, it's it's, it's about control. It comes yeah. down to control and oppression and, you know, trying like as if that's a, you know, controlling schools and controlling the curriculum and controlling the things that are happening day to day is going to be the solution to those. And, it, and it, all it does is it increases the problem. Yeah. And but, you know, the people who are the people in power that are making those decisions are, are, are going at it like, OK, and, and they use they're using equality and fairness as as the rationale to support that control and and that is sinister yeah and and yeah i mean i think that there probably we could bring in you know other folks who would be much more you know capable of making that claim and you know and much more emotional and you know well, and also and research based ways, research based ways, right, right, right. Yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you know, so it it's it, but I mean, we see it, we see it, and yeah, yeah. you have to I, be blind not to. So, right. So I don't know if we do we have a put a dent in this at all. I mean, I think that we, we I think that the the thing is you and I are comfortable with it in some places and not comfortable with it in others. In terms of like some degree of standardization, in terms of uh what the big ideas that get taught and yeah. then how that happens. You know, and I think there might be some, some places for common assessments, but it depends on how those things are being used. If those common assessments are being used to provide information for individual students and their families, but if you used to compare them against other people and they're used to compare teachers against other teachers, then that is not what the intention is, at least not from you and me. Right. Um, know that we're going to like have this big huge database of you know here are the good teachers and here are the bad teachers here are the good students here are the bad students here are the good districts and good schools and the bad ones Mm -hmm. then i think that um that has left all of the you know the good things from any sorts of standardization you know by the wayside it's you know yeah yeah i mean i think i think what we what we tried to talk about was the nuance and complexity of standardization. It's not evil. It's not good. Um, but like so many things, if it's put in place in a rigid way, the outcomes are almost always inequity. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and again, mixing <clears throat> a theme of the show, mixing up the thing with the description of the thing 
right? So when you standardize, you're you're saying that learning means one thing in all cases. So that's again sort of like saying the scientific method is these steps. Yeah. And that standardization is going to lead to bad things. And so temper it and understand that standards are uh, are a description that are designed to be flexible, at least the NGSS, and use that to improvise and make your classes responsive to the kids that are in them. Yeah. That's it for me. And to put a, to, to put a period on this Hawaii one school district. Yes. Look at me. 184,000 students. Wow. That's a lot of, a lot of students though. I wonder how many students are like in the Philadelphia public school district. I I'm sure that we could find that out. I'm sure we could too, but I'm guessing it's more than 184,000, but I might be wrong. Yeah. Um, so Joyce, Joyce to put a real pin in the end of the episode. What, what, what do we have for Joyce this week? Ollie? Well, I mean, you want to start, I think I've been starting. Okay. Uh, I'll start. Um, so I was looking around for, for a book to read because I'd finished my the one novel I was reading that I try to read novels at night before I go to bed. I don't get much of them read each night, but I like to read novels and not because if I read nonfiction before I go to bed, it makes me think. And I, that's the last thing I need. I don't, Ali, I think too much. This is a <laughs> defining characteristic of me. I think too much yeah, about, this about guy. pretty much everything. Right. Yeah. This guy too. Yeah. So I do not want to be thinking at night. So, um, so I, couldn't find anything on the bookshelf that either I hadn't read or I didn't want to read. Um, so I went digging through my comic book collection, which is small mm. now compared to the old days. Um, but I got a couple of long boxes left in the basement. And <clears throat> what I pulled out was uh, a Frank Miller comic that some of you might or might not remember because it wasn't his, it wasn't Dark Knight, which everybody knows. And, but it was Ronin. Uh, and I hadn't read that in a long time. And so I have been rereading the six issue uh, miniseries Ronin um, by Frank Miller. And it's <clears throat> it's really good. I mean, there are bits of it that are a little problematic um, because it's a post-apocalyptic world and they have some bad actors there. And those bad actors um, say some things that it probably wouldn't be printable in comics anymore. But anyway... Um, beyond that, it's a really interesting. So the basic premise is there's this um, Ronin, which is a, a, a samurai whose master has been killed. So a, a samurai's job is to protect and serve their master. If their master's killed, then they become a Ronin, which they're sort of a rogue um, samurai. Uh, so they're a good fighter, but now they don't have a master anymore because their master's been killed. And because that's a shameful thing. They can't just go higher on with somebody else. They sort of are cast adrift and he gets into that. So there's a little bit of this and this is 800 years ago. This happens and then it jumps forward. And what happens is this, this Ronin who was in a battle with a demon 800 years ago and trapped in this magic sword has been released. So both the demon and the Ronin have been released from this magic sword 800 years in the future in this hyper technological biocircuitry age of AI and computers. And it's about how that plays out and that how they, these two, um, you know, longtime rivals, enemies, you know, re-engage in their battle in the future. So it's, it's, and it's really well done and it's got a, you know, 
it speaks to the nerd in me at, at that sort of yeah. middle school age that it's got like Japanese samurai swords and technology. And, you know, it's, it's like, seems like it was right in my wheelhouse when I was probably 13, 14 years old. But, uh, but I'm, but I'm enjoying going back to that time period and being a little nostalgic. And, and uh, so I got some news here for you. I don't know if you know, know this about Ronan. <clears throat> I'm sure I don't. Frank Miller, this came out like maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, is going to write a sequel. Uh, really? It is. Uh, he's going to write a sequel to Ronan or a prequel, um, but there's okay. going to be, he's going to continue the story uh, and also Sin City. So those are both coming on. That's oh. the other big Frank Miller yeah. um, work that uh, is out there. And that is going to be Sin City set up in the 1800s. Oh, so like, that's going to be a prequel. So those are. I haven't uh, heard either of those things. That's yeah. very cool. Uh, All some, right. some news that dropped in like probably mid-May, you know? Um, yeah, but that that's great. And that's definitely, you know, you were probably like maybe not 13, you know, maybe like, I don't know. Well, let's see. I think it was 84. So it was 84. Yeah. So I was older than that. So I, I would have been in 84. That would have been my junior year of high school. So I would have been 16, 17 yeah. years old. Yeah, but still it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's great. I've been, I, I, I've been, reading some graphic novels too that wasn't gonna be my joy um and why not i i've been reading um i just finished a one it's called middle west something new um it's familiar to me but and and so middle west is i think it's uh image comics um and uh i read it as a graphic novel i downloaded from hoopla um i also read at night to try to get my my brain someplace else besides my in my head um and uh middle west is set in i don't know some some time period some place like mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like now but it's like some place that could be now but um what what happens is there the dad has a storm in him like he when he gets angry he turns into a storm he turns into like a a tornado and I know it's preposterous, right? But that's the that's it's the joy comics. of this guy, this comics. But then the son has it too, and so the son doesn't know he has it, and then he gets scared. Whenever his dad, like, you know, gets angry, he becomes this storm, and the son runs away. And it follows the story of this runaway who's trying to figure out a way to, you know, deal with the storm inside him. You know, it's mm-hmm. red, like the metaphor from with, yeah, with this is just sure. it. I wish it wasn't so heavy handed, but it also yeah. is, I think where it ends up, I'm still working through that. Like did it end in a good place or not? Um, but it's, it's a tells a winding story of, you know, him finding his grandfather who also has a storm in him, who passed it on to his dad, who passed mm. it on to him. Right. Again, you can see yeah. it's like so yeah. heavy handed, yeah. but it does it so well. And then the people around him who around the boy who recognize you know, this and try to help him through Mm. this. And so it's a story about trauma. It's a story about family. It's a story about families that may not be the families we were born into, but the families we choose Mm -hmm. and, and the supports they, they give and the supports they bring. And um, yeah, it's, it was, it was really entertaining. uh, uh, Middle West. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. All right. Well, we uh, we covered standardization. I Woo! think no more needs to be said about that. We pretty much nailed that right down. I don't know if we did, yeah. but you I know, mean, into like a pithy definition that everybody it, can use to standardize. It was an episode. Yeah. There, that's all. That's all I could say. It was an episode about standardization. We talked. We talked. You Talking guys listened. Was done. We you practiced. folks listened. Thanks for being here. No. Yeah. 
We'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.